Hey, yo. Welcome to the Cajun Strong Style Podcast, 103.7 The Game's exclusive pro wrestling podcast. And it's a little bit more of a somber start to the podcast. Been a few weeks away from the pod, just kind of busy as I'll get out. Haven't necessarily had the time to put together my thoughts and actually get to record an episode of the pod. It is what it is. Sometimes life gets in the way, but it feels like today is a perfect time to kind of hop on the pod because... We lost another absolute legend of the industry earlier today, or just a few hours ago, in fact. He passed away, it was announced by WWE around 7 o'clock, and that is Scott Hall at the age of 63, an absolute legend, not just in terms of, you know, WWE, WCW, even to a certain extent, his stuff he did in TNA was still pretty doggone entertaining, but... Simply in terms of how influential he was and how charismatic of a character he was in everything he did. Go back and watch the stuff he did as Reza Ramon. He was 100% just a different kind of character. He made it cool to be the bad guy. Everybody for a long time, especially back in the 80s, whenever it was clear cut, you wanted to cheer the faces, and boo the bad guys, no matter how old you were. If you were a little kid to an adult, you pretty much knew you hated. Like over here in in the South, especially back in those Mid-South days, you loved JYD and you hated with an absolute passion the fabulous Freebirds. Scott Hall changed all that. And it's a lot of it just has to do with how he looked and how he carried himself especially as Reza Ramon. He had that that swagger. He was suave as all get out. Every time you heard him cut a promo, his vignettes building him up, definitely you saw that, kind of try and rehash that, recapture that spark about a decade or so later with one uh, Carlito Carrebian Cool. He kept using that kind of gimmick to get him going, and it paid off at least somewhat. didn't necessarily pay off the way they thought it would, like they did with Razor, where he just basically went to the moon. And then also, he's part of probably the single-handedly the most influential group in professional wrestling history because of the fact that when he decided to go ahead and turn and join the NWO, it'd be that first guy that fires the first shot of the Monday Night Wars. They were going on at the time, but I feel like nobody was talking about it. Because again, Nitro started in 1995, had been on the air for a year around that point. Then all of a sudden, you have Scott Hall show up on Nitro, unannounced, and everybody kind of just has that big shock moment. It's that big boom. Because again, wrestling kind of insider stuff, it wasn't necessarily as available as it is now. So when you think about it from that perspective, everything about what Scott Hall did from the second he got into wrestling, Back in the 80s. It's crazy to think about because I can remember yeah, my dad, we were talking about this last night because he said, you know, Scott Hall, he's in the hospital. He's on life support. I'm like, yeah, well, you know, he's gone through a very rough life. And we mentioned how he's been doing this forever. 1984 was when he debuted. Think about that. And it wasn't until like years later because, again, I'm more of a wrestling fan that grew up because like more of a fan in the late nineties. So not necessarily the best Scott Hall era, 
but I was able to see more stuff that he did later on down the road, thanks to ESPN Classic having a lot of his stuff from the AWA days, and then going back and being able to see more stuff from the old WWF days, when he started as Razor Ramon, the ladder match, which is absolutely iconic, and I continue to love how they, in, they meaning WWE, continue to spin that as the first ever ladder match. We all know... In reality, that's not true, but they're starting to spin it more in the fact that it's the first ladder match at WrestleMania, which is a true statement. It's just interesting to see how they want to put their own personal spin on those things. Even in his passing video package, which he aired earlier tonight on Raw, which was very well done. It's always classy. It wasn't as great as I thought it'd be, but it was still pretty doggone good. But everything he did with WCW, NWO, and he's a guy that 100% should have been a world champion at one point or another. Lo and behold, not the case. And a lot of that had to do, especially later on down the line, with his demons. But at the same time, it's one of, if not the, comeback story of pro wrestling. Because Scott Hall, at one point, he should have been gone because of the demons. They ate him alive for a long time. You started to see all that stuff pop up in WCW. They even made an angle out of it, which was in horrible taste. You hear about the Dark Side of the Ring documentary, and you start hearing more and more about the plane ride from hell and everything that happened there that caused him to get released, go to TNA, kept popping in and out of there, no showed some pay-per-views and everything. And you start to see him being very erratic, if you will. And all that kind of came to a head. There were certain points where he just didn't know what his life was. Like he felt like he was just not all there. And a lot of it had to do with his addictions. And we, you saw a lot of, different videos and different documentaries talking about that, talking about his health issues over the years, talking about all the substance abuse that he had. E60 did a great documentary. I recommend you go check that out. And his experience with drugs and alcohol and had, even has his family involved in that. And they were able to kind of talk about that a lot. And it was really cool just to see that. And then more importantly, Diamond Dallas Page, who I think should be on a fast track to sainthood, if we're being honest, what he's been able to do, not just for guys like Diamond Dallas Page, but Jake Roberts, but just all the people that he's been able to help kind of revitalize themselves. I mean, these two are the poster childs of why, without a doubt, Diamond Dallas Page is an absolute saint in the wrestling business. Because he's been able to revitalize, revive two careers that, to a certain extent, were kind of dead in the water at some points. And it was mind-blowing to see all of that they were dealing with. And all the stories you hear about him. And it's been great to see Scott Hall go back and get inducted in 2014. Then he got inducted last year. Like, think about that. 
about a year ago last year. It's supposed to be 2020, but obviously COVID threw a wrench and everything. But him being able to get inducted with Hogan, Nash, and Sean Waldman, three of his closest friends in the wrestling business, it's amazing. It's an absolute moment to kind of think about all that. And I sit here, I'm like, it stinks to high heaven. He had to, he passed away. And I never, I've never met the guy personally, but I've heard nothing but amazing stories from wrestlers, from fans, and seeing people share these stories. And it's amazing how much we start to talk about these when they're gone. A while back, if you go back into our archives, I kind of did something similar, talking about the time I got to see Kamala wrestle live and in person against Hacksaw Jim Duggan in 2002 as like a wrestling fan who didn't necessarily know all the backstory about Mid-South and their history. But that was an amazing experience. And being able to meet those guys after the show was phenomenal. But realizing how important it is with re- the relationship with wrestlers and fans, especially the wrestler- wrestlers and wrestling fans that understand the balance. Because there are some fans that just go absolutely crazy and nuts. But there's fans that just get it and understand what goes on on both sides of the table. And they have that respect for them. Those are the people that I love. And every time I kind of think about when we get to this point and we continue to have this, I mean, we had every year, we, it seems like we have another one added to the table that we all kind of sit there and say, hey, he passed away. Talk about our favorite moments. And again, I wasn't a huge wrestling fan when Scott Hall was at his peak as a professional wrestler. But when I wound up watching a lot of the stuff later as a teenager, young adult, all that stuff, I realized how important he was to the wrestling business. And Scott Hall, without a doubt, I put it out on our Twitter, at Cajun Strong Pod. And a lot of people jumped on it. My job. They did a little bit too early. I I get the frustration from some people, but you got to realize I'm going to give the man his flowers, even if he's still alive, but he was one of the best heels in the nineties. And probably I'd say he, I'll go ahead and throw this hot take out here. I think he's without a doubt the Dan Marino of pro wrestling. And I mean that by saying that he never won the big one. Beginning WCW, WWE, National Wrestling Alliance, even the AWA. He only won the tag team titles with Kurt Hennig. In the AWA, that was whenever he looked like an absolute monster. Magnum Scott Hall, like that guy was absolutely a machine. He had some of the best matches. In the WWE with Shawn Michaels ladder match. Everybody remembers that stuff. When they ran that back a couple years later at SummerSlam. It was amazing to see how many people loved Scott Hall. 
and it's justifiable. A lot of the stuff I've been hearing from fans over the last, let's say, 24 hours. It was Sunday, Winter Rose announced that he had three heart attacks, and he was on life support, and it shook a lot of people to their very core. And I completely understand that. And it makes me kind of think, you know, it's life short. And at 63 years old, he lived a full life and then some, especially in the industry he was in. And I'm hoping guys like Scott Hall are that cautionary tale. A lot like Jake Roberts. That can make this be a change to where we get to see guys in the wrestling business live full and healthy lives. And we're seeing that, I think, more and more over the last couple of years. We see all these wrestlers, all these superstars show up and show out every single night. And they're being a lot more aware that they can't go down the same path guys like Scott Hall went down on in his career. And that's a great step in the right direction. We're going to talk some wrestling as well, because I've got a lot of thoughts. I've hell, I've still got thoughts to drop out of AEW Revolution, because we've kind of dropped the ball on that, if we're being honest. I don't mind dropping that. Some quick thoughts on that in a few. But I just want to end with a thank you to Scott Hall for all the memories that he gave, not just me, but all the wrestling fans everywhere. Because it's things to high heaven that he's gone now. And we're all going to miss the, the, the bad guy. And I'm sure whenever he walked through the pearly gates, he wound up doing his little signature walk right in. So once again, uh, thoughts and prayers to uh, Scott Hall's family. And thoughts and prayers to all of his close personal friends. It stinks. To see that man pass away, the way, especially, it is so sad. It's sad any all the time when somebody passes away, but I think this one just, it's not, it was not great. But again, rest in peace, Scott Hall. We catch you on down the road. And hopefully you're getting booked with Kurt Hennig in a tag team match up in the big wrestling ring in the sky. All right, now we're going to go ahead and switch it up a little bit, get into a little bit of a better mood because I've been well overdue getting this podcast out, to be quite honest. So let's go ahead and jump right into it. AEW Revolution, it's a little bit of a much delayed, much maligned review, but we're going to get through it pretty darn quickly because I've just got a handful of thoughts here. So we'll go to the buy-in real quick, and they actually had three matches here. And three, all three of them served a really good purpose. Chris Statlander, Layla Hurst served a very good purpose that we started to see more on Dynamite the following Wednesday. And it was a solid match. You didn't need Hurst cheating to win, hitting Statlander with the turnbuckle. But still a solid match. A couple clunky spots here and there, but overall passable. I'll go two and a half links of booty. I put two here. But after thinking about it, it's probably one of the better women's matches I've seen on the buy-in period. I think Serena Deeb, her match last year, double or nothing, that was a banger and a half, and that one deserves to be the best women's match on a buy-in show, on a pre-show, probably period, regardless of promotion. 
So then we get to a town hall. Don Callis drew all kinds of heat when he came out to Kenny Omega's music. Everybody thought it was Kenny, but nope. And he did a great job kind of putting over Kenny Omega, mentioning Hangman Page as a transitional champion until Kenny returns. And it continues to build up towards maybe Omega coming back sooner rather than later, maybe even as close as double or nothing. That's kind of where uh, my thought process is on that. Because there's a good chance where you could see that match go on. But obviously, you got to see how things are shaping up with CM Punk. He's going to play a huge role in who, if he could get a title shot not too far down the road where MGF fits in all this. There's a lot of guys that could be in that spot. Now, obviously, Kenny Omega could also be preoccupied with the Young Bucks, Paragon, Undisputed Era, whatever you want to call them, that they're kind of building towards. So it'll be interesting to see, but it's great to hear that promo because we hadn't really thought about Kenny Omega since Full Gear, but having Don Callis out there for a little bit, Maybe be like, oh yeah, he's gonna be coming back. And hopefully he does come back either very soon or, or like very soon as a double or nothing, or maybe even all out could be his return. I would love that. Then we get to QT Marshall taking on Hook. This was a typical hook match, really good stuff, entertaining. Love the fact they called back to Shane Douglas versus Taz with the finish. Great. Really solid match. It's putting, you know, Hook over and having him fight more of a long-term match. Because, again, it's a lot like what we see with Goldberg in WCW. He got over a lot. He beat people in four minutes. This was a lot more of a longer match, really, to see how far he can go and test the waters on him. Entertaining match and not a hidden gem. Two and a half links of Pune there. The House of Black versus Pinta Oscuro, Pac, and Eric Redbeard. Very, very fun. Six-man tag felt PWG-esque at certain points, and I loved it. Favorite part of the match had to be bar none. Eric and Brody King going at it. Big, meaty men slap. Meet that stuff I love. And the finish was wild with Redbeard selling the black mask, trying for a choke slam. But Malachi spits the black mist in his face and Brody gets the win for his team. Four links of Boone and probably one of the best buying matches or pre-show matches I've ever seen, bar none. These two tore it down. I would have loved this to be a actual main card, but I get it. You have a stacked main card, which will get you right now. Starting off with Chris Jericho. Eddie Kingston loved how quickly Jericho established that he was the heel in this. Just a straight-up fight between two veterans in the game. And I got to give credit to Jericho. He was ready for this one. You see him, like, over the last, like, say, year or so, he still had a little bit of that, that punch. And again, I have no room to talk. As a, as a Husky fellow myself, I have no room to talk. But seeing Jericho look jacked and look lean was a great sight to see. So give him credit where credit is due. He looked about five, ten years younger in this match. They had a really cool spot where Jericho and Aubrey Edwards were arguing. Looked like we were going to get a physical interaction. And it was handled really well. I like the fact that they actually did that. Because it's rare they actually have those kind of moments 
And when Jericho shoved her, she was like, I'm going to shove you back if you if you don't step back. And that was a really good moment. It reminded me a lot of Triple H and Earl Hebner, though. They're dynamic. Maybe we see more of that because they've teased some stuff in the past with the stadium stampede is one thing I can think of off top. And the storytelling, the, the psychology in the ring was really good here, too. Kingston throughout the match was selling the oral bone, which is a big talking point. Which again speaks to why I love Excalibur as a commentator. He does a great job selling that and knowing the backstory of certain things. And he absolutely battled through this entire match. He won after hitting two spinning back fists and then locking in the stretch plum for the rare submission victory on Chris Jericho. I can't think of the last time he lost by submission in any promotion. So it was a big surprise there. Four links to Bude, hot, hot opener. These two went at it, and it's exactly what you expected right from the jump. After the match, Kingston wants a handshake because Jericho was going to shake his hand, and Jericho walked away. And he slowly turned heel at this point. Now, on Wednesday, he turned full heel, which I'm going to get to right now. I'm going to go ahead and bundle this in and kind of hit some of the aftermath points of Rampage into Dynamite. Just real quick. I don't quite understand why they went this route. I can understand it in a sense of 2.0 are your crony heels that are going to just be, yes, man, Daniel Garcia is going to be a hell of a hand and probably going to fit more of the Sammy Guevara role. And you give those guys a chance to be groomed by one of the best wrestlers of all time. It's a great look, but it still felt a little weird they went in that direction where they're just going to say, hey, let's go ahead and have 2.0 just take that spot and we move on to a new inner circle, the Jericho Appreciation Society, which is a sucky name. But anyways, then we get to an AEW World Tag Team Championship match, Red Dragon, Jurassic Express defending the title. And the Young Bucks, it was a triple threat match, and this was a banger. And it was wild to see how much the bigger story involved was Red Dragon versus Young Bucks. But at the same time, Jurassic Express got over, and by the end of the match, they didn't feel like the third wheel. Because it felt to a certain extent that it felt that, you know, with all due respect, the tag team champions were the where the tertiary story, the bigger story was how were the young bucks and red dragon going to interact together? How was that going to work? How was that dynamic going to fit the narrative? And these three teams put on a fantastic match. Luchasaurus really shined. And again, you're facing smaller guys. It works really well with these guys going at it. Phenomenal stuff here. The Jurassic Express retains the tag team titles. Jungle Boy continues to look like a star of the future. Whenever this tag title reign does indeed end, I'm going to be very disappointed if not, if like within six months, you've got somebody like a Jungle Boy in a TNT title program or an AW world title program. Cause he absolutely deserves it. He's got a great, kind of style to him. So I think that's kind of where 
I think Jungle Boy is going to go whenever this title reign does indeed end. And I feel like it could end sooner rather than later, especially with the Young Bucks and FTR kind of breathing down their necks because I think they are much more focused on getting those tag team titles back. Then we get to the face of the revolution ladder match. And this was way better than I expected. Again, when you have a different style of ladder match, because this wasn't, you know, the typical spot monkey type match where you see wrestlers just going like crazy, hitting all these high spots. No, they did something very different. With Christian Cage, Powerhouse Hobbs, Ricky Stocks, Wardlow, Keith Lee, Orange Cassidy. You had three Hosses in a match. Usually it's one, especially in a multi-man. You've seen in the past in WWE, they always like to do that. Kind of have that token heavy guy, have that, te- that token Hoss. But no, three Hosses going at it. And this was outstanding stuff. Orange Cassidy got some real highlights in here before injuring his shoulder. Thankfully, no surgery, so he's just going to be on the shelf for a little while, but it'll be enough time to kind of maybe get some of that magic back from the character because this was a match that I think maybe Orange Cassidy, to a certain extent, the fact he tried so hard kind of detriment is a detriment to him because he's always been that lazy character in a sense. But the spots they had, it was him being so unique. At one point, Orange Cassidy uses the three hosses in this as a stepladder, great spot. Really fun match back and forth. Once the ladders got involved, it got crazy. Orange Cassie does an airplane spin. Then he does some of the most unique spots I've seen in a ladder match where basically he skins the cat on the ladder while two people are holding it and damn near takes the, the Sonic ring down. That was really cool. Wardlow wins after hitting Ricky Stocks with a powerbomb on the ladder. Four links of Boudin. Phenomenal ladder match. Way better than I had expected. Because I went to that match with very little hype. Then we get to hear that Shane Strickland, he's all elite. In a really good program. They're really good. Very great angle. And I have the fact that you had somebody like Tony Schiavone actually mention his background. And really reestablishing him as a guy that's a huge deal. Because to a certain extent, whenever he made his main roster debut, he didn't last all that long. And next thing you know, he was G-O-N-E gone. So yeah, interesting right there. Now we're going to get to the best match of the night and probably one of my favorite matches of the year. It's going to be hard to top. Is the dog collar match CM Punk MGF. First off, it was a five links of Boudin match, and I think it was almost immediately that when CM Punk brought back the old ROH theme. He brought back the basketball shorts. It was fantastic. The storytelling here, bloody, barbaric, best match of the night by far. And again, I am a huge CM Punk mark, have been since just before he started on the main roster in WWE at ECW. I like his gimmick this was so good just the story throughout the match how mjf was just wanting to destroy and end the career of cm punk but mjf brought it got it right back to him throughout but then you saw another story get told with wardlow deciding hey i'm my own man now 
and helping hand MJF a loss with the dynamite diamond ring being handed to CM Punk, basically. And Punk connects with a massive punch and gets the win, beating MJF. Yes, through dirty tactics, but at the end of the day, it was kind of karma coming back to him. MGF had his Randy Orton moment as well, taking the flat back bump on the tax off the GTS. Again, that match was buckets of bleeding, probably I'd say a three or four on the Muda scale, but damn, if that wasn't a great, great match that honestly could have been the main event of any other show. Now we get to the AEW Women's World Championship, a come down match, Thunder Rosa defending fighting against Britt Baker and she is been been a great champion but this was a match I hated I hated because I kept getting sucked out of it again you have a come down match it's expected this one's not going to be at the same level in any way shape or form but this is what you gave me this is what you gave me really I got to give it three links to Buna because I just kept getting sucked out of it. There was way too much interference from Hater and Rebel. I did not like that at all. And again, these two have had much better matches. The Lights Out matches, one that everybody talks about. This sucked. This is the worst match of the night, in my opinion. I didn't mention much about Ty Conti, Jay Cargo, because there really wasn't much to mention about that. But it was still a solid match that really showed Jake Cargill have a true test. He went along with this, and it was a good match. Ended with Cargill retaining, and the win streak extended. That was a three and a half links of Boudet match. This was better than Thunder Rosa Brett Baker. This just, again, I hate when interference becomes too big of a story, and this one, it dragged on forever. But I think they're going to wind up giving her the title in her hometown of San Antonio, Texas on Dynamite this Wednesday because that just feels like the right thing to do. And if that's the case, then I completely understand why they did what they did and why they ran that. Now we get to John Moxley versus Brian Danielson. And I've talked about how CM Punk MGF. That was a monstrous match in terms of blood, barbaric type stuff. And it fit really well. Take the barbaric battle and just multiply that because these two just went at it right from the gate. They had a little bit of technical wrestling. It reminded me a lot of Benoit Angle from WrestleMania 17. Liked that a lot. And it was kind of expected. These guys got busted open wearing the crimson mask. More Moxley than Danielson. And the match was fantastic. And the finish was even cool too. With the roll-up where it was... I keep bringing it up a lot on this podcast. But Roddy Piper, Mr. Perfect. Or no, I can't believe I just said that. But I think it's... You know the spot. It's the sleeper hold. I think it's Roddy Piper, Bret Hart. But you know the spot on top of the sleeper hold. And basically, they go in the corner and flip over. And they give the sunset flip for the win. They get the roll-up for the win. And the quick pin. This was that same kind of thing in the, arm, in the triangle. And the way... John Moxley did it. it was perfect. Fantastic stuff. These two kept rolling after the bell. 
four and a half links to boot it. And all of a sudden William Regal comes out and I was blown away. They actually are running with this angle and making a, at least a tag team, but they feel like they're trying to build almost like a dojo of sorts to where they can have more of the young talent join them. It's not a stable per se, but it's basically, wait, here's our two big, bad MFers. And let's go ahead and put them with some of the young pups of the future. I I love the idea of that. Now we get to the co-main event, AHFO versus Darby Allen, Sting, and Sammy Guevara. This match was so much fun. It wasn't the most technical match. It wasn't a match of the year candidate by any means, but hot damn, it was the most entertaining like car crash TV type match. Vince Russo must have been absolutely jumping up and down watching this one. So much crap was going down. Sammy Guevara had a Spanish fly onto a table that did not break. Staying while I'm diving off of a balcony to four tables at 62 years old. Like he is an old man. He's about my dad's age. And he took a bump like that off a balcony onto four tables. What the hell's going on? I give that three and a half links to Buddha a fun match from start to finish and a really good come down from that leading to a main event that has a lot of heat to it. And that is Adam Cole versus Adam page. The two Adams squaring off and this kicked ass. It wasn't like the best main event of all time in AW history, but it still did a really good job continuing to establish Adam pages reign. I think that's something that he needed is to have that moment because to a certain extent all throughout Adam Page's career, the big story has a lot like we hear all the time from Eddie Kingston all throughout the build to his match. It was, he can't win the big one. Adam Page's beginning like six months was that he couldn't beat Jericho. He didn't beat Pac. He never won that big match. And now he's starting to establish himself as being a guy who can indeed win that big match. That's telling a really good story. And that's why I love how AEW is. It's telling long form stories and there's long stories to, yeah, sometimes you get tired of that build and then all of a sudden, boom, you get to the actual payoff. And it's like, oh, hey, that's kind of cool. Because you'll look at what they did on Dynamite Wednesday, having Scorpio Sky win it. That was something they had planned out months in advance. I guarantee you, Vince McMahon would never do that kind of story. It's week to week. It's all about building towards the moments, pal. That's why I like AEW. It's more about building stories. It's building up these long-form stories and interconnecting them and it winds up working out extremely well. And the fact you have the whole conflict with the dark order now and at a page that could turn into something else where the dark order kind of helped him say that they, there was some tension there and there's still some tension. In the ranks could Adam page get back together with the bucks. How does all that kind of spin together? That's, one of the million dollar questions that we're all going to be asking ourselves over the next few weeks and months as we approach double or nothing. Some early thoughts. I think we're getting Wardlow MJF 
as a match because they're starting to they're gonna build that. I think they're gonna start that on Wednesday when he costs Wardlow the TNT title on Dynamite Wednesday. I think that's gonna be something they go with. I feel CM Punk versus Adam Page could be something they run at double or nothing as well. I think Jurassic Express, John Moxley, Brian Danielson is a definitely a match. And depending how they do the Thunder Rosa match, because I want to just see Thunder Rosa win that match, move on, and maybe we see the professor, Serena Deeb, get a match. That could be a low-key banger of a match. Obviously, we're probably going to get a multi-man with Proud and Powerful versus Jericho in 2.0. Hopefully, it's not a stadium stampede type thing, but honestly, so far... I've enjoyed the build to revolution and I'm starting to enjoy how they're starting to slow burn towards other things. And they're starting to reset after every pay-per-view and start building towards new angles after pay-per-views. It's not necessarily, Oh, Hey, we're going to do like storytelling over the course of six months to a year. We're going to do it more every quarter. And then we can start kind of working on angles and build up towards certain points later. That's kind of what I've been enjoying a lot about AEW while WWE continues to do things almost by the seat of their pants. But that's going to about do it for the Cajun Strong Style Podcast. A little bit of a delayed AEW Revolution review and a postmortem on the life and times of Scott Hall. So appreciate everybody for listening to the podcast. And if you haven't already, make sure you subscribe to us. How ever you get your podcast and also make sure you leave a five-star review on itunes or excuse me apple podcast or spotify because spotify actually has a five-star review now so why not drop those in your life i want to drop those five-star reviews let us know what you think about it and if you do i guarantee you we're gonna talk about it on the podcast we're gonna mention your five-star reviews here on the Cajun Strong Style Podcast, The Game, 103.7 Lafayette and 104.1 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. This is our official, this is the official podcast of Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. And hopefully you've enjoyed this one. And until next time, enjoy the wrestling and make sure you enjoy it responsibly. Times don't last, but bad guys do. (laughs) 